Well, another day of the round of 16 goes by of the 2023 African Cup of Nations. Welcome to uh, another night's recap. This uh, podcast is brought to you by www.africasacountry.com, as usual. Uh, what a long, long day. Um, today we had two matches. We had Equatorial Guinea versus Guinea, and we had Egypt versus DR Congo. Um, I was at the match for Equatorial Guinea versus Guinea, but I would like to start by talking about Egypt versus DR Congo. Um, Egypt lined up exactly how we thought they would. We knew Salah was injured. We knew Imam Ashur was injured, right, because he had the concussion. We knew Echenawi, the goalkeeper, was injured, and it's pretty much the exact same uh, substitutes that we were expecting. So, And Nani comes in for Ashur, which means that Egypt was going to be a little more conservative, right, because Ashur is a ball-progressing midfielder, and Nani is more of, um, let's say, a screening midfielder. Uh, Gebeski, who was the hero for Egypt during the penalty shootouts in the 2021 African Cup of Nations, he replaces Mohamed um, Shinawi not just for national team, but he also signed with Al Ahli, um, and so he'll be heading over there to cover for him as Shinawi recovers from injury. And finally, we had uh, Mahmoud Hassan Trezeguet come in for uh, Mohamed Salah. Again, I think that's a logical uh, move to make. Trezeguet is probably the one player that stepped up the most and the most consistently. Uh, for Egypt uh, over the last uh, I'd say year or so after Salah he's really been the one that produ- produces and provides major goals and assists so no real big surprises DR Congo uh, decided to stick with Cedric Bakambu I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea um, but they did it I would rather play Fiston Mayale they stuck with their 4-2-3-1 um, Gail Kakuda in that number 10 role was injured and so they brought in um Ilya Meshak, and, uh, but other than that, so yeah, no real huge surprises, right? They lined up how we thought they would line up. And throughout this match, you could feel that both sides were really cautious. Um, two experienced sides. Um, there were maybe a handful of big matches in the totality of, t- totality of the match. Um, and even the way they scored their goals. Um, Egypt scored their goal, be- or sorry, Egypt conceded. Dear Congo scored because um, Egypt were contesting the throw-in. Uh, the referee said it was a throw-in for DR Congo, and Egypt thought it was an Egyptian throw-in. Initially, I thought it was an Egyptian throw-in. Upon the replay, I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, but Ma- Arthur Masuaku takes a quick throw. <laughs> Half of the Egyptian defense is sleeping. Yohan Wisa puts in a deflected cross, and Ilya Meshek heads the ball in. Uh, 1-0 for DR Congo. And up until that point, I thought Egypt controlled most of the match. Uh, DR Congo had one good chance, but... Even if we say they control it, it was very like it's not like they were dominating. It just means that they had more ball possession. Um, Egypt tried to claw their way back in, and they on, a, on another set piece, uh, Batsu Binsika uh, gets his arm up and elbows Ahmed Higazi. Again, you could tell he wasn't trying to do it. It's a little bit of a soft penalty, but the referee blows, and and Mustafa Mohammed, uh, the ninth striker, um, who's had a very good tournament, he's probably been the only Egyptian satisfaction. Uh, or complete satisfaction in this tournament, he slots in the penalty kick, and we're 1-1 at half. But you see, even the way they scored their goals, it's not like they broke down the opposition with well-constructed sequences of play. It was uh, one team slept because of a controversial refereeing decision and a penalty kick. Anyways, um, beginning of the second half, it was DRC that started to control possession of the ball, and by the end of the second half, Egypt had crawled into it again, but again, they're not really creating great opportunities. Um, At the beginning of extra time, 
Egypt pick up a second yellow card. So they have they're a man down, and this was it was funny because immediately the goalkeeper Gabeski goes down for an injury, and you could see the gamesmanship come out of the Egyptians. You know, um, they were immediate. They were all of a sudden. You know, they were looking to buy time here and there. They're looking to. Uh, make tactical fouls. They really had no more interest in playing, and they were playing for penalty kicks. And psychologically, there are studies that state that if a side is playing for penalty kicks, and you know they get to penalty kicks, and they have that sense of relief, and they have less pressure on them, usually they're the side that wins the penalty kick shootouts. That coupled with the fact that Egypt were so great at penalty shootouts in the 2021 African Cup of Nations with this goalkeeper, Gabeski. Remember, they, with Carlos Queiroz and the coaching staff, they would run out a water bottle with a paper that was wrapped around the water bottle. And Gebeski would take a look, and there were little squares with little goals uh, drawn onto the water bottle with directions of each of the players that were going to take penalties and which direction they were used to going in. And so Gebeski would take a look like this, okay, cover his water bottle with a towel. And then usually he went the right way almost every single time at the 2021 African Cup of Nations. So the fact that Egypt were playing for penalties, and then they have their penalty specialist in goal you immediately think that Egypt are going to win this penalty shootout and credit to Dira Congo I thought you know they sent him the wrong way almost every single time um, they would shoot you know opposite so if they're uh, right footed they would open their body up and shoot to the right if they're left footed they would open their body up and shoot to the left and Gabeski kept going the wrong way every single time which was very very surprising um, and finally He's the one that stepped up. I think it was the eighth penalty kick, and he hits the bar, and uh, the ball goes goes out, and he misses. And then uh, Mpasi, the Congolese goalkeeper, scores, and that was all she wrote. A few interesting statistics. This was the eighth consecutive match that Egypt uh, drew in the African Cup of Nations. Crazy stat. Another st statistic that I saw from Ahmed Youssef on Twitter, uh, Egypt went 40 years between 1982 and 2002 without losing a single penalty shootout. And now they have lost three in a row. The 2021 AFCON final, the 2022 uh, qualifying match against Senegal to go to the World Cup, uh, and then today uh, in the round of 16 at the 2023 African Cup of Nations. So what can we learn from this match? I mean, what are the lessons you know that Egypt are going home with? I think it's too early to fire Rivitoria, the coach that you gave a four-year contract to. Um, I don't know if there are objectives in that contract that he didn't hit that you can now fire him for, but I still think it's too early. I think there were real concerns with this Egyptian side that he didn't address effectively. This was a side that was leaking goals during the group stages. Um, and even today, they made some pretty bad defensive mistakes. And he was brought in to keep the defensive solidity, but make Egypt a more balanced side. And it seemed like when he tried to make it Egypt a balanced side, they would lose the defensive solidity. And then today when they focused on defending, they almost had nothing to uh, produce going forward. So he's really not succeeding in what he was brought in to do. Um, but again, I think it's too early to fire him or to give up on him. Give him another 18 months. You have the AFCON in Morocco in 2025 coming up. Uh, in less than 18 months. I think you should give him until then to figure it out. Um, and if he can figure it out, I think Egypt will be okay. Uh, Egypt, remember, were one of my favorites coming into this tournament, so it's a little bit surprising seeing them go home this early. But when you consider all of the injuries um, and then also the novelty of the coach and the team, 
it's not a huge surprise. But what about DRC and Sebastian de Sabre? I think they might be the hottest team on the continent. Either them or Equatorial Guinea. Well, not the case anymore, obviously, as they were eliminated earlier on in the day. But DRC, over the, look at their results over the last 12 months. Ever since he arrived, really, they weren't going to make it to this African Cup of Nations if it wasn't for Sebastian de Sabre. He came in halfway through qualifying, got them to win three or four matches on the trot. They made it out here, and now... Despite the fact that they haven't won a match within 90 minutes, similar to Egypt, uh, now they're in the quarterfinals. And you saw what it meant to the players and you saw what it meant to the squad. Um, and really, that's what encourages me the most. Yes, DR Congo played good football, and that encourages me. But what I wanted to see even more than that was how's the group interactions? What are the dynamics within the group? And you could see in the celebrations after the match, that there was a togetherness, there was a unity, um, there was a spirit. You could see that the team doesn't give up. Despite Egypt, you know, dispatching perfect penalties every single time, they didn't let their heads drop. You could see Silas Katomba go to Arthur Masuaku after he missed and said, hey, come on, you know, keep your head up. Those intangibles, that really, um, that really encourages me for DR Congo. And I do think they're going to be favorites going back when they play against uh, Guinea now in the quarterfinals. But that's another conversation for another day. Let's talk about the game that I was at, uh, Equatorial Guinea versus Guinea. Uh, Equatorial Guinea, same shape, 4-1, 4-1, uh, and Guinea, same shape, 4-3, 4-3-3. Tactically, Equatorial Guinea were really impressive to watch in person um, because they would play the 4-1, 4-1. Their fullbacks would push up, much like Nigeria's did, um, and their wingers would compact and, and, and stay narrow, much like Nigeria's did as well. The wingers like Ivan Salvador, um, I forget, Yannick Sam, I think his name is, uh, number eight, stood really, really narrow. Um, and Zalang Nacional, you know, Equatorial Guinea, they dominated possession in the first half. After 45 minutes of play, they had 61% possession to Guinea's 39. But neither side created a big chance in that first half. Zero big chances created. 0 0.19 XG combined and one corner kick each. So it was a first half in which Equatorial Guinea had the ball. They were making you know, interesting tactical uh, movements, but they weren't really able to break down the Guinean defensive block. And Guinea would try to hit back on the counterattack, but they weren't really succeeding either. So it was, it was a cagey first half where I thought Equatorial Guinea were the better side, but uh, they weren't doing anything with, with their possession. The second half, however, starts with immediate chaos. Guinea score a goal uh, almost immediately. It is ruled out for offside uh, after a VAR check, uh, Mori Kanate. Actually, I don't even think it was checked by VAR. I think it was just straightforward offside. Um, but that was a warning shot. And you could see that maybe this wasn't going to be as controlled of a half from both, both teams. A little after that VAR disallowed goal, uh, Fede Bikoro, the midfielder playing his trade in Tunisia, um, playing his trade in Tunisia for Club Africa, he's rightly sent off for a high kick. And it's one of those where he kicks the ball, but he leaves his foot in the air and he does it on purpose. And it's unnatural and he catches. Uh, he might have caught Mori Konate, I think. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe it was Agibo Kamara. Uh, and it was absolutely deserved red and there was absolutely no need for it. And it felt like he was emotional. It was an emotional thing to do. Uh, maybe he was getting frustrated in the game and, and he completely let his team down. But nonetheless, 
uh, Equatorial Guinea continued to look organized, and they win a penalty on a set piece. And again, this is another sign of a really well-coached side. Each one of their set pieces was well-worked. They always had a plan. And this one, I believe it was Gane um, cuts it back. You know, he's, it's almost like a short corner kick, that same a similar angle. And instead of floating across into the box, he cuts it back along the ground, and even Salvador gets his foot on it, and he wins a penalty. Okay, he wins a penalty. Emilio Ansu has five goals in this tournament. You would expect Emilio Ansu to, to slot at home and, and for Equatorial Guinea to maybe see this game out. And sure enough, you know, it's the African Cup of Nations, so many surprises. The man with five goals, the leading scorer in this tournament, hits the post, and Equatorial Guinea, um, I think the heads drop a little bit. There was a journalist in the press box that passed out after to show you the kind of pressure that they, they were feeling. Um, later on in the half, it was a classic case of, you know, the legs gone for Equatorial Guinea. They held on amazingly, but you could see that as they were defending with only 10 men, and Guinea made great substitutions. Um, and here's where you can give a hat tip to Kabadu Ewara. Look at the quality that he had off the bench. Francois Kamano, Nabi Keita, Ciro Girassi. That Those substitutions, coupled with Equatorial Guinea becoming really tired, really put a lot of pressure on the Central Africans. Um, and Ibrahim Diakite, the player we spoke about him, you know, at, at length too for Guinea. The right back, just 20 years old. He's the man of the match. Um, he puts in a great cross from Mohamed Bayo, who perfect glancing header into the bottom quarter, and uh, and Guinea win with the last action of the match. And you feel so bad for Equatorial Guinea because for me, a very well coached side. They were brilliant throughout this tournament. They scored nine goals in three matches in the group stages. But that's just the way football goes. Sometimes you know, sometimes your best player misses a penalty kick, and a young player in midfield gets sent off stupidly. And those two errors were fatal errors for. Uh, for the team. Um, and similar to DR Congo after the match, it was so great seeing the Guinean celebrations. Um, Ibrahim Keita had this to say in the press conference, we dedicate this victory to our people who have suffered so much over the last few years. Many have even died. If we can put a smile on their face just for a few moments, then we're happy to do that. And, and the vibes in the press conference were immaculate. You know, So many Guinean journalists saying, Kabadiawara, coach, I'm so sorry. I was doubting you. I was criticizing you. I'm now a believer in your project. And the coaches, you know, had a big smile on his face. And it was it was really, really cool to see how much it meant to, Guine to Guineans, as Guinea has never made it to a quarterfinal of an African Cup of Nations, if I'm not mistaken. And Guinea is a side, you know, that produced a lot of great players, so they should have done that by now. So, yeah, that's it. And that's another night of uh, knockout stage football in the African Cup of Nations. Tomorrow is going to be... <laughs> Uh, two other great matches, Cape Verde versus Mauritania early in the day here in Abidjan. Me personally, I'm going to Yamoussoukro for Cote d'Ivoire versus uh, Senegal. Maybe the match of the tournament so far. So uh, I'm going to be recording a, a preview for those matches. It'll be dropped in the morning. Um, and if you enjoy it, please like, please subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Please leave a five-star review if you're listening on any of the audio platforms. Thanks again for watching or listening. It's been a real pleasure speaking to all of you guys, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.